Hey everyone, welcome to City Church OTR's Sermons Podcast. Here you will find all of the sermons and teachings that are given at our Sunday services. We also have our original City Church OTR podcast, which has more conversations, interviews, and more interactive content. As always, we would love to meet you. Check out our Instagram to see what we're doing this week and our website, citychurchotr.com, to meet one of our pastors. Enjoy. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Uh, I'm back. It's been a while, and it is really good to be back. I, uh, I missed you guys, and uh, if you're new here, you have no idea where I was, and you probably don't care, but I've been gone. Catherine and I <clears throat> had a couple weeks off. Uh, I had a couple weeks off from the church and have been gone, and so this is kind of my debut Sunday. Uh, so let's see if I still remember how to do this. We are going through Acts, um, but I was encouraged by my wonderful co-pastor um, to give a little bit of an update, and it was hard for me because it's like, surely you don't care about my trip. Um, but I did feel, actually like the Lord said a few things while we were there, but also I do want to just give a little bit of an update. So I had three weeks off um, from being here. Uh, we spent two weeks in Hawaii, which is as beautiful as I'd heard, and it's just a wonderful place. We first went to the Big Island, which um, uh, we have friends. I have a really good friend. His name's Rich. I think we have a picture. Um, yeah, that's my friend Rich. We, uh, he's a YWAMer. Any YWAMers? Anybody know YWAM in the room? Yes. Okay. Three, four of us love YWAM. The biggest base in uh, the world is actually in Kona, Hawaii. That's what my friend Rich does. He led our school of ministry in Las Vegas when uh, I got to be the pastor at that church, and uh, it was so fun to see him. He's British, and he's dramatic, so it's a deadly combination, and uh, so I got to see him, got to hear what God's doing all over the world, Um, an amazing organization, and so I'm meeting people, and it's like, oh, you just got back from the Middle East, and you're about to go to, um, you know, East Asia and different things like that, and it was so, so fun, Um, so we spent our first couple days there. Uh, And as any good vacation, we started off with like a ton of prayer and worship. Those guys are wild. I mean, they go for it. And so it was so fun. Then uh, went to Maui, and uh, we had this great Airbnb where there were sea turtles right outside. And I had to beg. I felt like a father to Catherine. I was like, hey, don't touch them. Please don't pet them. No, really, I'd rather if you just got a little bit (laughs) further away from them. Uh, She loves animals, and I never had a pet growing up, so... No desire to pet that turtle. Um, but there were sea turtles. We uh, actually at one point uh, rented a car and drove to the top of this mountain. Uh, it's called Halekala. Catherine rented the car, so she had to be the one to drive. So we're driving up, and I'm just getting like all the views. It's awesome. And went above the clouds and watched a sunset. And that's, I mean, lots of people there. It's like 85 degrees, but up there it was like 40. And um, just a beautiful place, like a beautiful place to see the stars, and then we spent, uh, after Maui and doing a couple things there, we spent our last week in Kauai, probably my favorite place, my favorite island, because we checked in at the Sheridan, and they gave us, like, I'm pretty sure their nicest room on property. So that it, 1,300 square feet, it was, like, bigger than any apartment we've ever lived in. And all of a sudden, like, I didn't leave the room. We, they had a robe in there, and I just got, I went tanning when I came home just to like make you guys think I went outside, that room changed my life. <laughs> and I re-became a robe person. Again, just lived in that. Uh, we did go outside. We went kayaking 
uh, on a couple rivers saw Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah, didn't know it was him uh, until we passed him. And then I was like, oh, I, I remember seeing a guy skiing, and then I remember seeing a bunch of like Navy SEAL-looking guys in a boat next to him, and it all made sense of even if I wanted to talk to him, I would have not had the chance to do that. And, um, and then also celebrated Catherine's birthday while we were there. So that was really, really fun. I have a picture. I know what you're wondering. What's it like to vacation with Catherine? Next picture. Uh, she's so curious. She's always touching something or smelling something. And these are just a few of the many pictures of like, she sees a plant, she's got her nose in it. And or she sees an animal and she's trying to touch it. And uh, so I call her Curious Cat. She's always on the prowl for something. Um, but it was really, really good. And I'm coming back. I spent then the last week I had off kind of alone. I did a silent retreat. And that's weird. Like no technology. I didn't talk. Nobody talked to me. Um, I did go on a couple walks and I like actively avoided people just so I could come back here and say no words were spoken and I didn't have to be rude. Um, but I feel like I'm coming back and I feel very full. And I said this before I left and I'm really excited uh, when later this summer Tyler gets to take a couple weeks off, but I feel like I'm coming back both physically rested, emotionally healthy, um, spiritually full. I feel like I've got a ton of vision, at least for my life, and uh, I think for this church in this next season. And here's a couple things I'm coming back with. And these are just like, again, if you're new, I know you don't even care. You don't even know my name. Um, but a few things I felt both for me personally and then for the life of our church. Number one, I was convicted of this, so transparent moment. Um, I was, when I was there, I was really convicted of fear. Um, I didn't know that was like a thing. I dealt with, I thought, uh, I didn't think that, like, I was afraid of, like, things that weren't even going on, but specifically fear around this church, and uh, the Lord so gently, as he does, but pretty sternly convicted me of that, and uh, there's no skeleton in the closet. This thing's actually going very well, and that's the weird thing, was, like, I found myself worrying about things that could happen, or possibly happen, or if the direction went that way. And, uh, and so I had a really good moment of like repenting and remember, reminding myself, um, I think Jesus was telling the truth when he said that he'll build his church in Matthew 16. And so convicted on that, I really was encouraged, again, and I love this, but don't always give it the proper time, but to be um, a developer or even like a discipler of men. And women love you. You're one of my two favorite genders. But uh, I really felt this stirring of like, I want to see men, specifically men in our church, like be developed and discipled, and I need this too, um, but I'm coming back with a little bit of vision for that, and, and I assume women were okay with more mature men in the church too. Yeah. Wow. I thought there would be more of a response there, uh, but really coming back with this idea of I want to see like uh, men stepping up in our church, um, and I want to see men, at least in this urban core of Cincinnati, uh, really running with uh, Jesus, because Sometimes we've relegated, and the church has been relegated to like a woman's game, and I just don't think that's true. And, and then the last thing I felt was, man, I really want to start watching like more and more of my time, and I read a couple books on rest. It was really good. Felt like I'm doing a decent job at Sabbath and rest and sleep, and got really convicted and invigorated for more of that. And then I felt a few things around our church, and so this might apply to you more. Um, this is really exciting. I'm sure you're going to love this. 
uh, I felt like, man, I want to see our church in repentance more. <laughs> yeah, send me on more vacations. Um, I want to see like holiness pursued. I want to see repentance be a greater part of this body. Um, and again, I don't exactly know what that looks like. These are just honest, off the cuff. Here's what I felt like the Lord was saying while I was gone. I uh, Also fun, I felt like the Lord inviting me to invite you guys into fasting more. And, uh, and I, this is really weird. I, I, fa- I've, I do fast monthly, but I've never really talked about it because, I mean, in some ways the Bible says not to, but in other ways I didn't want to come across too spiritual. Isn't that silly? Like, isn't that just a weird shame? And um, I'm like, no, nah, I'll do it because I want to follow Jesus and I want to practice the things that he did. And I felt very firmly the Lord say, you need to invite your church into that. So it's not a, it's not like a, everyone's doing it now. Um, but if you want to fast more, I, I do it once a month for a couple days at a time. There's different ways to do it, but it is a practice of Jesus. Um, we pray, we do other things that He did. We worship, um, and so felt a, a strong conviction of this false humility that I think I was trying to put on, which really is just pride. Um, also felt this, uh, felt this excitement for the Holy Spirit again. Um, of being in our church. And the last thing I felt, uh, or at least that I want to share it right now, is um, this idea of purity. And, and not like necessarily in the sexual sense, but purity of the church. In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. And it just gripped me. Like I, and no, like I love leading you guys, but if you get in the way of me seeing God, like I don't want anything more than to see God. And I want to have this church be marked by the presence of God. And so I was really gripped with this idea of purity. And uh, I'm reading a book on worship uh, with Jalen. So Jalen and I are reading this book together in preparation for when we lead together. Uh, But we're reading this book by Jeremy Riddle called The Reset. And he said this. He said, the fastest way to rob something of its purity is to make it popular. Yeah. And, uh, and that hit me, and it's a really good time, I think, for us, and at least for me and Tyler, to be thinking about, like, I don't ever want to sacrifice the purity of this church for the popularity of this church, and it's a great spot. We're small, we're new, um, but it is starting to happen. Like, I was at the doctor a couple months ago, and she asked what I did, and I told her, and she's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of that church. <laughs> and uh, I said it nicer than this, but I was like, no, you haven't. <laughs> um, I was like, oh, I don't, I, don't, I don't think you have. She's like, no, no, you're like in OTR, you're on Elm Street. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's Queen City Church. You've heard of them. And she's like, no. And then she starts to recount specific details about this place. And I'm like, what? People, like, are talking about us? And, and it was one of my first moments of, like, I really, uh, this thing will grow, and I think it's worth growing. Um, it's worth people, like, inviting people, because I think what God's doing here is really, really good. And... I want to hold that intention with uh, not getting caught up in that, but getting caught up in the purity before Jesus. And so, um, again, coming back very full, there's a few little updates of where I want to see um, our church grow, and I've you know, processed this with Tyler, and we have some ideas and other things. It's like, I don't know, I'll just throw it out and let's see what God does. But um, I'm very, very excited to be back here. I think um, what God is doing here is really, really special just especially in this idea of community and family 
and, uh, and being a church that does reflect, and we want to increasingly reflect our neighborhood, that's a huge value here. And we want to see um, not just uh, outreach happen for the sake of outreach, but outreach for the sake of loving Jesus. And so what, hap- what is happening here is very, very special. So um, if you're new here, I am so sorry. My name's Chris. You heard about my vacation. You, like, literally don't care. But uh, we are going to read the Bible now. So we've been in a series uh, through the book of Acts, and um, we are in Acts, the, Acts 6, and it's going to be a big chunk of uh, scripture today. Acts 6, and I'm going to start in verse 8. It's uh, the story of Stephen, uh, if you're familiar with that. And we're going to come back to the beginning of Acts 6 in a couple weeks. But right now, it's the story of Stephen, and I want to read just a few verses. Now, this is a large chunk of scripture, and a lot of it is a speech that Stephen gives. Um, and I love Acts 7, but I'm not going to read much of it because you can read it. I can summarize it. Um, and it's really, really good, but it is long. Um, it's the longest speech we have recorded in the book of Acts. So Acts 6, um, verse 8, it says, Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. And then opposition arose, and I'm going to skip to verse 11. It says, Then they, the, the religious zeal, of the day they, the religious leaders, secretly persuaded some men to say, we have heard Stephen speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And just really quickly, verse 8, I want to point to something. It's one of the drums I beat all the time, but it says, Stephen, a man full of uh, God's grace and power, so not an apostle, not an apostle, performed great wonders and signs among the people. It's the first time we see a non-apostle or a non-Jesus performing miracles in the New Testament, apparently, they must still be for us. And, uh, and I don't get sassy about much, but there's parts of the church that would say, no, that's for back then, that was just for them, and uh, I heartily disagree. Stephen would disagree. Stories that I think a lot of us have seen would disagree. Miracles, signs, and wonders, God moving in the supernatural are still for us, and we see that happen in verse 8. And then Stephen Uh, through just sharing the good news of Jesus, starts to offend um, some of the religious leaders. And uh, and their offense is not matched by what he's actually done wrong. And so they start to distort the things that he's saying. They start to make up some of those things, and they start to twist specifically around Moses, which is a big no-no in New Testament times. You don't mess with Moses. And they twist some of the things he said about Moses, and they twist some of the things he said about the temple, And uh, they create these accusations towards him, and they bring him to the high priest. And then in Acts 7, verse 1, it says, Then the high priest asked Stephen, Are these charges true? Are these charges true? And to this he replied, and we're not going to read any more. I want you to read it on your own. But it's a very long-winded, even some scholars have accused it of being a really boring sermon. Not that you guys have ever heard any of those. But a boring sermon from Stephen. It was really long-winded. It was uh, a huge summary of Uh, the Old Testament, specifically the nation of Israel, and he walks through the whole thing. And these guys would have known the story, but he was trying to prove two main points. And this is eventually what gets him killed. Uh, He said, number one, you leaders of Israel, you religious leaders, you've constantly killed God's messengers. He said, every single time God sent a prophet, you guys killed them. And then you finally did it with the Messiah. He said, but the Messiah came back to life. And now that means that the temple is not just the only thing that holds God. And he starts to talk about how the temple that they built cannot actually contain God, that God cannot be contained by anything built 
with human hands. And so he goes off of these two main things. He summarizes the Old Testament. He summarizes the story of Israel. They, of course, knew it. And he said, and here's what I want to prove to you. You guys keep killing the prophets, and now you've killed the Messiah, and you cannot hold God in anything that's been built by human hands. And that's enough for them to twist what he says for the purpose of killing him. They were so offended. And at the very end of his sermon, he ends with this. He says, look, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, they covered their ears, yelling at the top of their voices. They all rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, and this is a bit of a foreshadow, meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. Uh, And a couple interesting things here. So he summarizes the Old Testament. He says, this is what happened. And he says, he looks up as he's being stoned. He looks up and he sees the Son of Man, uh, which is a very Jewish way of saying, uh, I see the Messiah. I see Jesus. And he says, I see him standing there. And if you're really familiar, if you've recently brushed up on your Christology, like I know you all have, um, where is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, typically at? The right hand of God. Very good. The right hand of God. I think I heard that. He's usually at the right hand of God. He says he's there. And what is the Son of Man, what is Jesus usually doing at the right hand of God? Sitting. Very good. Yes. I think I actually did hear that one. He's usually, we see him all throughout the New Testament scriptures, he's seated at the right hand of God. And here, we see Stephen look up and he says, I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Many scholars and I see no reason why this isn't true. Think that Jesus is standing for the first martyr. He's standing to receive the first person to give up his life for the way of Jesus. F.F. Bruce, a really famous scholar, he says, Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. Isn't that powerful? That's crazy. I, uh... I, I don't need him to get out of his chair for me, but I hope to have somewhat of a similar welcoming when I uh, walk into heaven. That's incredible. And Jesus, the Son of Man, standing at the right hand of God, welcoming Stephen. And it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. And falling asleep, a very Jewish way of saying he died. Um, but reminding people death is not permanent. And and so Stephen dies, and you can see this at the beginning of Acts 8. Um, Something happens out of evil. And and this is classic God, classic God move, where something evil happens. I don't think he caused it, but God redeems it. And all of a sudden, this persecution, this one act, causes the gospel to be spread and causes the Christians that are now in just in one city to be spread all throughout the area. Uh, a lot of people estimate like 20 to 25,000 Christians, and that's a lot, in this one city, and, and they're all just there. And what happened in the beginning of Acts, like Acts 8-1, says that they were spread out, and it fulfills a prophecy, it fulfills a command that Jesus said in Acts 1-8, when he said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, and Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so part two of the plan starts to happen after Stephen is murdered. And just classic God, he takes something that was so evil, and so awful, and people end up hearing the news of Jesus all throughout Judea and Samaria. And, and this morning, I want to do a little bit of something different. And again, you guys might never let me leave again. Uh, I, I was praying while I was gone, 
and I saw a picture of myself telling stories uh, on the stage of like heroes of the faith, specifically martyrs. And uh, I was like, that sounds like an awful Sunday. <laughs> like, that's a good way to really shrink a church and ma- maintain purity. Um, and I was like, God, that really makes no sense. Like, nobody wants to hear stories of martyrs. That sounds so lame. Uh, but I guess it could make sense if I'm preaching on Stephen. So I pull up Excel, our little planning document, and it's like, oh, I do have Stephen. I guess this could make sense. And, uh, and so I encourage you, read the story, the full story of Stephen. But Stephen was the first one of what we call a martyr. And I want to tell some stories uh, that maybe you've heard, most likely you haven't. And, and that's how we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. I just want to tell stories of heroes of the faith, and not all of them, actually none of them made it into scripture like Stephen. Um, and I want to ask this question. And it's a genuine question, and you define what it is, but the question I want to ask this morning is, is he worth it? Is he worth it? And you can define what it is. Is he worth changing the things that you watch, or you say, or you think, or you do? Um, these people, a lot of them had to answer the question, is he worth my life? Like, is he actually worth me giving up my life? And I want to ask that question, is he worth it? Because after Stephen, things only get worse. There's persecution from one emperor to the other for a couple hundred years. It was just really, really awful. And they start to even systematize persecution and execution, all with one goal. We want to stamp out, especially the last Roman emperor um, that did this, Diocletian, he said, I want to actually stamp out all of Christianity. And he gave some edicts and some proposals of how we could do this. And here's the crazy thing. They all did this just to end this one movement of God. And it just kept growing. It just kept growing. The the movement continued, but it didn't just continue. It actually grew. And I was sitting, um, I have a picture. I was just sitting. We went to this YWAM base a couple weeks ago. And we went to a lot of prayer and worship nights. And then just we dropped in on one class. Like it was just a Tuesday afternoon. And we met Dan Bauman. Um, Probably never heard of him. He did write one book. But I'm sitting there. And this is just a picture I kind of took. I was hoping he didn't see me, Um, but I'm listening. He's teaching the random class that I dropped in on, and he's telling me the story. He's telling us the story of the time he was imprisoned in a Middle Eastern country that rhymes with Moran. Um, I think it's public. He wrote a book about it. So he's telling the story, and I'm listening to him, and I mean, he's very honest. He said, you know, I lived in Afghanistan for 20 years. He gave up 20 years of his life to live in Afghanistan to share the gospel. And he said, every now and then, you know, I'd cross this border into said country. And he said, one time my passport just didn't, you know, they said that I had an issue. I had to go to the Capitol, which was an eight-hour bus ride away, and ends up in jail. Has no, like, they they don't know what, he doesn't know uh, what the accusation is, what's wrong with him. And he's telling us the story of how he's in, imprisoned in Iran. And two weeks in, he said, you know, I even tried to commit suicide. And he said, after that, uh, you know, Jesus came to me. I, I met Jesus, not physically, but I, I met Jesus, and I decided I'm just going to live with joy, no matter if I have this massive um, house somewhere or I have this four-foot cell in the middle of the city. And he starts to talk about how the rest of his time there, he's in prison for nine weeks uh, and got beaten every day, how the rest of his time there was strangely full of joy. And he said this at the very end, and this is kind of where this idea came from. He said, it was all so worth it. That doesn't make sense. 
He said it was so worth it. He was so, he's like, I, of course, you know, it was worth sharing the gospel. It was worth leading people that had never heard into a relationship with Jesus. So it prompted me. I was on this other website this week, and I was just looking up. It's called uh, Voice of the Martyrs, which is a really interesting, really cool website that has a list of people that have died for their faith or imprisoned. And this story just broke me. I was reading about uh, Zhang Wenxi. Uh, I think that's how you say his name, but people just call him Deacon Jang. And uh, he lived on a, he's ethnically Korean. He lived on a border town uh, between China and North Korea. So he lived in China and Chiang Mai. And, uh, and I didn't know this, but I guess North Koreans are allowed to cross the border very, for like very short times into China to like shop. And uh, when they would cross the border, he and his friend, Pastor Han, would feed them and clothe them and let them uh, stay there. And if they wanted, he would tell them the news of Jesus. And for better or for worse, um, news spread around, and he gained this idea of what he was doing, gained momentum even in Korea because people were coming to follow Jesus, North Korea. And uh, so one night in 2014, uh, people crossed the border, kidnapped Deacon Jang, and took him back to North Korea, and he's now in a, in a prison there. And uh, shortly after that, uh, Pastor Han was stabbed to death. And, and today is 2,410 days. He's still there. I mean, he's still in, in prison. But 2,410 days that Deacon Jang has been in a North Korean prison. And, and most of the people on this website you can actually write letters to to encourage them. You can't write letters to him. They don't give him mail. So he has no idea we're talking about him. He has no idea that uh, he has no idea about anything. And I can't actually, so I can't actually tell you what he would say to the question, was it worth it? Is he worth it? But I think, if I had to guess from the, the biography I read of him, I think he would say yes. It was totally worth it. I uh, was talking to my friend Zach this week. Zach works for a missionary organization. They do house churches all over the world. And I was telling him what I was talking about. And he said, man, a few months ago, we just lost um, a couple people in our missions agency. He said, I can't tell you their names or where they were, but he said, we call them Faisal and Musa. Don't have pictures. But Faisal and Musa would take monthly trips across the border to Tajikistan. And uh, they would just share the gospel there. And a few months ago, they were captured and killed. And this is my friend Zach. Like, these are his friends, Faisal and Musa. Like, these are, you know, two degrees of separation from me. And, uh, and he said, you know, we didn't even have time to mourn. We had to immediately rush their family to a safe house. And, uh, and he said, but out of a worship uh, time that this community had in this country, he said two others uh, raised their hands and said, we, we've got to fulfill, we've got to keep going with what they were doing. And this isn't like at your workplace when someone leaves the company and now there's an opening for a promotion. This isn't exactly the same. These guys were killed. And two people, knowing what happened to their predecessors, said, no, I want to be in for that too. We've got to continue what they were doing. Crazy. Maybe you've heard the name Corey Tinboom. Uh, she was, I mean, she was alive during World War II, but her, the Tinboom family, uh, her parents and her sister, uh, put fake walls in their house and they used to hide Jews during um, the raids by the Nazis. And, uh, and the story goes that one day someone finally sold them out what they were doing. So not only did some, not, some of the Jews actually stayed behind a fake wall for two days 
until everything was gone. But uh, some of the Jews that they were hiding got put in concentration, or, uh, yeah, concentration camps, as well as the Ten Boom family. And pretty shortly after going there, uh, Corey's mom and dad and sister, I think, all died like very quickly. But Corey started to share the gospel with people in a uh, concentration camp. In a concentration camp. She said, this news is still worthy of being shared. And a number of women, uh, quite a number of women, be- uh, came followers of Jesus because of Corey's faithfulness to share the gospel. This is the last one I want to share. We don't, uh, we don't even know this guy's name. Um, but there's this man who uh, had been praying for years to go to China. And he'd been praying for uh, years. I want to get there. I want to share the gospel, specifically like this one coastal village. And, uh, and finally, he couldn't find anybody to go there, like no missions agency. But finally, he found a, uh, a pirated ship that would take him there. And, uh, and so he gets aboard this uh, pirate ship. And um, he goes, and the Chinese authorities see it, and they attack it and sink it. And so he can see the shore. And so he leaves all of his belongings on the ship. He leaves, jumps overboard off of this pirate ship, except uh, with his Bible. And he's swimming to shore, and he has his Bible, and he's just holding it above the water so that it doesn't get wet. And he's swimming, and he's swimming, and, and the villagers come out, and it's still a long way off, but they see this man just holding up this book. And uh, eventually he drowns. He doesn't make it to shore. And the book falls into the ocean. They rescue, or they, they get his body out, and, uh, and they watched as he was swimming, and they saw that he was holding this book. And, you know, they can't read it. It's in a different language. But they get his body, and they get this book, and they start to, str- uh, you know, hang up all these pages and let them dry out of this book in the chief's tent. Because they, they said, and here's what they assumed. They said, whatever this book has must be the answers to life. Whatever is in this book must hold the key to life because this man, we don't even know who he is, but he died trying to get this news to us. And uh, so they held the pages up for a couple years, and these other missionaries, a couple years later, they came to this village, and they came into the chief's tent. They said, we have news we wanted to share with you, Uh, but they said, it seems like you have already, uh, you've already heard the news. I mean, we see that you have a Bible. And they said, no, 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 we... We have no idea what this book says. We've, we've been waiting for someone to tell us what this book means. And it's not easy being a missionary to China, but these uh, missionaries had the very easy job of saying, here's what the news is. And these people were primed and ready, and the village came to know Jesus. And we don't know his name, but I want you to imagine for a second what this man must have felt as he was swimming, because there had to be a reality at some point when he just felt his shoulder starting to slowly give out and he felt breath starting to go from his lungs. I mean, he had to have thought, what a failure. Or this mission was a failure. And he had no idea that the sacrifice that he made was going to lead a whole village to Jesus. And we don't even know his name. And I was thinking about this when I heard that story, and I was thinking just about this recently, that um, greatness can still be found in obscurity. Greatness can be found in obscurity. And if 
Uh, and this is the thing I have to wrestle with. You've got to imagine your own, but if this church never becomes massive, if I never write a book, if nobody ever knows my name, if I never speak at that conference, if my aspiring real estate empire just falls flat, if I'd never become a big deal, but the urban core of Cincinnati is discipled into following Jesus, is that enough? I mean, and I don't always answer that the way that you would want me to answer that, if I'm honest. But I'm wrestling with that question, and, and at the end of the day, I have to say, yeah, I mean, it is. And it's something different for you. If you're a faithful stay-at-home mom, but there's never a blog that picks up your brand of mom, and you never become famous for the way that you discipled your kids, but you did it faithfully, is that enough? If you start a work Bible study, and it grows to five or six people, but it never becomes massive, and it never multiplies, and Christianity Today never writes an article about you, was it enough? If you prayer walk around uh, the city and you pray for your neighbors, but nobody ever finds out, nobody ever writes a book about you, and probably no one ever makes the movie because it's, all good movies start with books, is that enough? And I'm asking these questions, and it's genuine questions, and I want to just ask this question this morning, is he worth it? If it never becomes a big deal, if you never become a big deal, if you never get notoriety for the things that you do to faithfully follow Jesus, is he worth it? What if Jesus is glorified from your life, but you never are? What if nobody ever tells your story? What if Jesus knows your name and nobody else does? Is he still worth it? And uh, I want to address the fact, one of the most annoying things to me is when somebody goes away to a place, or they read a book, and all of a sudden, like, you have to read this book, you're dumb for not reading this book, you're dumb for not being to this place, and I want to acknowledge, uh, I've had a lot of time to pray and read, and I'm coming in a little fiery, and I, uh, the last thing I want, and this is not the goal of this Sunday, is to feel any kind of shame of I'm not there. Uh, my college pastor used to say, it's okay that you don't want Jesus, just acknowledge how many wants away you are from him. Do you want Jesus, or do you just want to want Jesus, and some of us are three or four or five wants away from him, and that's okay. The goal of this morning is not shame. The goal of this morning is just an invitation again, because of Stephen's story and Deacon Jang and the guy we don't even know the name of, is to follow Jesus deeper. It's to answer the question, is he worth it? Uh, Revelation 5 says, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and in a loud voice, they were saying, and this is the, the view of heaven we have right now. This is what's happening in heaven. It says, in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. And, uh, and so here's what I want to do. We're going to go into worship, but not right away. I want to have a little bit of a moment to, to ask that question. I want to have a moment to, um, to pursue Jesus in the room. And so if you trust me, uh, I would love if you would just close your eyes right now. Everybody close your eyes. And I want you to even picture right now uh, the stage. I want you to picture the stage. And I want you to, because this is what happens every week, but I want you to picture that Jesus actually walks into the room. 
Okay, he comes in from the right. He walks onto the stage. You can even hear his footsteps. He's uh, not a real tall Jewish man, rough hands, eyes like fire. And he walks onto the stage, and there's a seat waiting for him. And he sits down, like physical Jesus, not just in your imagination, but Jesus, the physical Jesus. In front of the keyboard where I was standing, he sits in the best that Shakespeare theater can come up with for a throne. And he takes his seat. I want to imagine what would actually happen if he was here. I want to imagine what would actually happen if Jesus physically came into the room. And we're going to have a moment uh, to go into worship uh, eventually. But I want you to respond like he was here. And, uh, and I don't know what you would do, but I know what you won't do. You won't be standing. And so uh, we're going to have a time to respond, but I want, um, I want you to respond how you feel. Uh, the front, the stage is going to be open. It's where I'm going to be. Uh, if you're physically able, I'd encourage you to kneel up here in the back at your seat. You can stay seated. Um, I don't know what you would do. I know what you won't do. You won't be standing. And we would be in utter disbelief that the king of glory has come in. So we're going to take some time to just imagine that Jesus has walked into the room. I want you to respond as if he's actually here. So the front's open, the back's open, but let's respond accordingly. <laughs> 